good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Well, week one of the NFL's 100 season started with an absolute dud with the Packers and Bears, yet ended with one of the most thrilling finishes to a football game you'll ever see with the Texans and Saints. And in between, new stars emerged, reality set in for many preseason darlings, and we also may have witnessed the making of a potentially historically bad team and a potentially historically great one. What say you, Hal Bent? It was one heck of a week one, uh, whatever you liked. You liked defense, you had games with defense. You liked offense, you had those. Close games, overtime, ties, it had everything. Welcome back football. It sure did. Welcome back football indeed. And before we uh, preview week two, let's uh, uh, review week one with our takeaways, and I'll go first here. And one of the main observations I had was uh, smaller, faster wide receivers, as in those uh, six feet tall or under, they are looking like the newest trend in the NFL. And Sunday showed you why. In recent years, the NFL seems to have preferred speed over size in the draft when it comes to wide receiver. Uh, See John Ross in 2017, who went ninth overall to the Bengals in that draft. And in this past draft, Marquise Hollywood Brown, who went 25th overall to the Ravens as the first wide receiver off the board. Both of them combined for 11 receptions, 305 yards, and four touchdowns in week one. And you also had Deshaun Jackson in his return to Philly, who went gangbusters with eight receptions for 154 yards and two touchdowns. And in that save game, Redskins rookie Terry McLaurin going off for five receptions, 125 yards, and one touchdown. And he could have had another long touchdown if not for a Case Keenum overthrow. Yes, David, there was definitely a sign of speed across the NFL, seeing those receivers not so much onto the size of the receiver, but the speed carrying that on. Also, you can look at the Buffalo Bills as well, as they came back with a furious comeback against the Jets in their game and leading the charge for them was their new slot receiver as well. So you saw a lot of players who were in different positions, different strengths, different skills, a lot of that going on. As far as my takeaways from week one, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to paraphrase to all the teams that are uh, the the 15 teams with a loss and the two with the tie. I'm going to paraphrase Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X. Just remember last year, we saw the Cincinnati Bengals crush the, the Colts in week one. The Ravens blowing out teams in week one. Tampa Bay beating the Saints in week one of 2018. The Dolphins beat the Titans even. So remember, we react to week one. We're not going to overreact to week one because it's just the starting point and not the finish line of a long NFL season. You nailed it right on the money there, Hal. And I'd like to share another uh, big takeaway from week one. I was absolutely blown away by that Tennessee Titans defense. Look at that defense. You got arguably the best secondary in football with uh, Kevin Byard, the best free safety in football. And if you don't know his name and you're a football fan, you better know it now. Kevin Byard, third round pick out of Little Middle Tennessee State University. His stock started to rise after his performance at the Senior Bowl, and he's already become the best at his position in the NFL. And two lockdown corners in Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler, who obviously know the Patriots' style of defense that Mike Vrabel wants to run. And Kenny Vaccaro at strong safety. He's uh, no slouch either. And at linebackers, he got speed with Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown, but up front is where the magic happens. You got Cameron Wake, who still has a lot of juice left at age 37, and Harold Landry appears to have taken the next big step in his development, and Jarrell Casey inside. Man, this defense is loaded with studs at all three levels. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the number one ranked defense in a lot of categories by season's end, would you? I would not be surprised at all. That is a balanced defense like you just outlined there, and as long as they can contribute uh, stay healthy and these players can continue to c- contribute there. There's depth at all three levels, and that's what makes a defense great in the modern NFL. They can get up and stop the run. They can drop back and stop the pass. It's a very, very interesting defense there that has been put together 
uh, and all run there through head coach Mike Rabel there in Tennessee. So a very interesting look there. And, and if I had one other takeaway to take away is the importance of the offensive line. Look at the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield running for his life there and then turn around and look at the teams that look so good. The Saints, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Patriots. What do they all have in common? They protect their quarterback. And year in, year out, you're seeing the same. Why do these teams continue to be at the top of the NFL? Because they build from the inside out. And once again, week one, it was on display to start 2019. And another team that uh, struggled mightily with their offensive line, the Los Angeles Chargers. And yes, uh, you have Phillip Rivers, a quarterback that can mask a weak offensive line because of his amazing football IQ and quick release. But I think that Chargers offensive line uh, could hinder their Super Bowl hopes big time. Do you? Oh, I agree. I mean, Phillip Rivers, nobody's going to confuse him as a mobile quarterback. He moves his feet very well in the pocket, shifting slightly to get away from pressure, but he's not going to be running around out there, and he's not Russell Wilson by any stretch. And if, if the Chargers cannot protect Rivers, it's going to take a team that's so strong on both sides of the ball and put them behind the eight ball once again. I agree yet again, Hal. And now let's move on to our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game goes. I will make a statement based off of one of those uh, week one storylines we've discussed or ones that we haven't discussed. And you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. We start in Dallas. If the Cowboys offense maintains the level of play they showed against the Giants all season long, Kellen Moore will be a head coach in 2020. I say that's the truth. Uh, Teams are scooping up young coordinators and if Kellen Moore continues to look as good as he did orchestrating that Cowboys offense from behind the scenes he is not going to be an offensive coordinator long there are too many teams in the NFL that need creative thinking on the offensive side of the ball so a hundred percent truth on that one. Oh, absolutely it's like a breath of fresh air for Dak Prescott because of all the Confusing pre-stamp motions, Kellen Moore is going to throw at a defense like he showed on Sunday. Exactly. And we saw a Cowboys team that wasn't just Ezekiel Elliott central. They used him as a, a play-action distraction to that defense and opened up the entire middle of the field, which is something Cowboys fans have been looking for the offense to do since Elliott got there. You said it, and we'll talk more about that impressive uh, offense and their weapons a little bit later on in the program, but... Next up, the truth or exaggeration. Dalvin Cook will be a serious contender for the 2019 NFL rushing title if he stays healthy. I have to say that's a truth as well. Um, I think Minnesota is a team that, despite all the money they've thrown at Kirk Cousins, you know, Mike Zimmer, defensive head coach there, loves to build around that tough image of we're going to pound the ball, we're going to play good defense, and you saw that on display in week one. And I think that's where he wants to go with this offense going forward and the identity of this team. So I think there's going to be a lot of Dalvin Cook, and hopefully for Minnesota, he can hold up and stay healthy. So I'm going to go with a second truth there as well. And we go to Jacksonville, where Gardner Minshew will steal the starting job away from Nick Foles in Jacksonville if he continues to play the way he did on Sunday against the Chiefs and helps the Jaguars to five or six wins by Week 11, which is the earliest week Foles can return from the injured reserve. I'm going to go a little bit of an exaggeration there. I still think the money invested in Foles, the focus of the offense around him, they're still going to go back to him as soon as he is healthy there in Jacksonville. Hard to put a Super Bowl MVP on your bench, especially one that you've paid a premium for as well in free agency. So I'm going to go an exaggeration, although uh, maybe Jacksonville should take another look and see if that should be a truth. I agree. If Gardner Mitchell continues to play the way he did and does lead the Jaguars to the playoff contention by week 11, there's uh, no going back, in my opinion. And last but not least, we go to Chicago, where the Bears, who drafted Mitchell Trubisky ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, that decision will likely go down as one of the biggest mistakes in the history of that franchise. 
I have to say that's the truth. I mean, I've been waiting to see the payoff with Trubisky in Chicago and waiting and waiting and waiting and Watson and Mahomes have come out and, you know, Maybe they wouldn't be able to do that in Chicago, but maybe they would as well. And that's two quarterbacks who are on high ascending paths who were drafted after Mitchell Trubisky, who has yet to show anything that he can be a consistent NFL quarterback. So, yeah, that's no exaggeration. That's going to be a big mistake in Chicago if Trubisky can't get his act turned around here and very, very soon. That is the truth indeed for the Bears sale. And now we move on to our game of the week, which is a rematch of the 2018 NFC Championship game. The Saints, looking for revenge, traveled to the Coliseum in L.A. to take on the Rams. And when you look at the Saints, that was one impressive, dramatic victory they had over the Texans on Monday night. But uh, that defense looked iffy, to put it kindly. How concerning was the Saints' defensive performance in the first half and on that final Texas drive of the game? Yeah, I mean, I I, want to say it it should be concerning, but again, where we we go back to 2018 and we, we look at that Saints' defense, and we were sitting here a year ago saying the exact same thing about the Saints, and that defense should definitely turned around during the season and got the Saints to that uh, NFC championship game. So I there are warning signs. Yes, is it time to overreact in New Orleans? I think we got to give them there's enough talented players there that we can say, you know, not a lot of playing time together in the preseason. May take a couple of weeks to ramp up here in this modern NFL where the starters aren't playing as much together in the preseason and give the Saints a couple of weeks to to turn this around and get that defense back on track. So definitely don't want to go off the deep end a little too early here when talking about that Saints defense where they certainly righted the ship last. Oh, absolutely. After all, as you said, it's only week one and we shouldn't overreact, but still the Saints are going to have to make quite a bit of adjustments this Sunday against the Rams. What adjustments do you think need to be made? Well, I mean, the first and foremost, they've got to take some pressure off of that secondary. We saw PJ Williams, uh, that nickel cornerback getting targeted repeatedly, getting picked on. I thought Lattimore and uh, Eli Apple are all right there as your, your one and two, but uh, P.J. Williams has got to step up, whether he's going to get additional help, whether that comes from the safeties or the linebackers, something to, to give him. But to get that or, again, always the other way to always help your secondary is to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands before he wants to throw it. And that's where you start looking at, OK, Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport it's time for you two to stop bringing the pressure from the edge. It most certainly is, but when you look at the Rams, Jared Goff, uh, he didn't have another worldly game in the Rams' 30-27 to victory over the Panthers uh, last Sunday. He posted a measly 4.8 yards per attempt in that game. What do the Rams need to do in order to get the explosiveness back to the passing game, especially the deep ball? I think it was very clear that they didn't get on track and and that gets to getting Brandon Cooks involved early and often in that game plan and and we've seen it historically in the NFL where teams will force feed the ball to a top receiver early in the game in order to get him his touches and get him in a rhythm think of it like basketball you've got to get the star shooting the ball early in that game get him in a rhythm and get the, the ball in his hands early and often, get him engaged. And I think that's one thing that the Rams are going to have to look for is game planning that deep threat Brandon Cooks early and often into that game plan. And now let's talk about a couple of matchups that will decide this game. And there are two that stand out to me personally. Obviously, one, Aaron Donald, arguably the best player in the NFL period, regardless of position, going up against that Saints interior offensive line with uh, Larry Warford and Eric McCoy, the uh, rookie. But you mentioned P.J. Williams, who got burned on that uh, touchdown pass to Kenny Stills that could have won the Texans the game. He'll have a challenge himself going up against uh, Jared Goff's baby blanket in Cooper Cup. Both of those matchups could easily be the deciding matchups in this game. Oh, definitely. They're both very important matchups. I mean, obviously, 
if if I'm New Orleans, you've got to keep Aaron Donald out of Drew Brees' shirt. I mean, that's first and foremost. Your offense isn't going to go anywhere if Aaron Donald is disrupting. And if I'm the Saints, I go right back to Super Bowl 53, where what did the Patriots double-team them every play except for one that entire game? Don't mess around. Keep it simple. You know, find Aaron Donald. Make sure you've got two offensive linemen blocking him on every play. And then that's how you start your offense right from that. And then, as you said, on the flip side, Cooper Cup working his way back. I think he was, even though the Rams were able to make it to the Super Bowl, he was a significant loss to that offense. And you saw the offense kind of idled back a little bit, went from fifth gear to fourth gear in that second half of the season without him. And for the Saints, maybe this is a game where you might have to move some people around and get some different matchups there and like I said project but protecting Williams there and not getting him burnt by cup and having cup extending a number of drives and wearing down that Saints offense especially this early in the season and I think we should add another matchup to the list uh, you mentioned uh, it's time for the Saints to start pressuring the quarterback and uh, uh, Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport going up against those two Solid tackles for the Rams and the Grizzly vet, Andrew Whitworth and Rob Havenstein. So, uh, uh, Saints, uh, you better uh, beat those tackles early and often in the game. Exactly. And, and that's a great point there, David, as well, because you're going into the strength of that Rams offensive line right there with those two tackles who are those immovable towers there on the outside and, and have been the ones that have been driving that offense by by giving Goff the time to sit back there and have those uh, routes come open there with those receivers. And who do you see coming away with the victory Sunday at the Coliseum in this NFC Championship rematch? It's a tough one. I got to tell you, it's it's flipped back and forth a few times here where I keep going, well, you know, it's going to be the Rams. No, it's going to be the Saints. And I went back and forth and I said, you know what? At the end of the day, you got to kind of flip a coin and say, is the Saints offense going to be able to move the ball on the Rams defense that one extra time to be able to make that one extra play? And I'll say this time, yes, they do. The Saints take it. 34 to 31 in a high scoring thriller. We are semi simpatico there. I think it's going to be much more high scoring than the NFC Championship game was uh, in that neighborhood, but I still believe uh, in a close call like this, the tie goes to the home team and the Rams pull it out 31 to 28 on another late Greg Zerline field goal from 50 yards out. So Saints I mean, Rams 31, Saints 28, pardon me. And now we move on to our fantasy football segment of the show with Set My Lineup. Now we got two lineups to set. First, we got my friend Andrew from Indiana. He's got a full point PPR league with bonus points for 40 or 50 plus yard plays and return yardage points. And uh, he only has one quarterback and that's Cam Newton. So lock Cam Newton in. And at running back, he's got Joe Mixon, Mark Ingram, Tariq Cohen, and Rex Burkhead. Joe Mixon might not play this week, so if a Mixon can't go, who uh, do you put in? Tariq Cohen or Rex Burkhead? I lead towards uh, Tariq Cohen personally because uh, against uh, that uh, Broncos uh, linebacking core, that's not going to have Todd Davis most likely. Uh, I, I expect Matt Nagy to target him early and often out of the backfield to gain some chunk yardage plays and some uh, intermediate plays as well. And plus, Cohen is a return threat as well. So if Mixon can't go, I'd start Tariq Cohen. What do you think? Tariq Cohen or Rex Burkhead if Mixon can't go? Oh, oh, definitely Cohen. I think, you know, Burkhead, as well as he showed last week, I mean, he's really in a timeshare there at running back in New England. And, you know, it's just too unpredictable. He could get three carries for the game, depending on the game plan, or he could get 23. So it's just, you know, you don't want to put yourself in the position where you're trying to guess what's going on with that game plan. You know Cohen's going to be out there. He got a lot of playing time in week one. He should be the primary receiving back there and in the PPR league as well and returns. I think you have to go with Cohen there as well. Yeah, so uh, Andrew, if uh, Joe Mixon plays, uh, lock in Mixon and Ingram as your two running backs. But if not, uh, go with uh, Mark Ingram and Tariq Cohen. So uh, watch uh, the uh, inactive wire 90 minutes before the game. If Mixon is in... It is him and Ingram. But if Mixon is out, it is Mark Ingram and Tariq Cohen. Now, wide receiver, I think uh, the 
the two wide receiver slots are no-brainers. Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jakeem Grant, Terry McLaurin. That is a solid deep wide receiver core there, but I think you have to put your two best receivers in those two receiver spots with Juju and Brandon Cooks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, both of those players had a down week one, and, you know, I love fantasy football week two because you see the the owners that, um, you know, overreact to that and start benching their, their high draft picks because they had a bad week or weren't targeted enough times. you got to ride these guys out through the first month of the season. There's a reason that you draft them high, and uh, they're going to straighten it out. You don't want to have them straighten it out when you've got them sitting on the bench. Indeed. So Juju Smith-Schuster and Brandon Cooks are the two wide receiver spots for you, Andrew. And at flex, I wouldn't touch Burkhead at flex. Uh, Jamison Crowder, he did catch 11 passes last week, but all were at or near the line of scrimmage, if not behind the line of scrimmage. So I would kind of stay away there. And Terry McLaurin's enticing, but I think you have a much better option here. Go with the Shaw Jackson at flex. He might be Carson Wentz's number two target in the passing game this year, ahead of Alshon Jeffrey, for crying out loud. So uh, lock into Shaw Jackson as your flex. Definitely. I agree with you 100% there, David. Yeah, so... And uh, he only has one tight end, Austin Cooper. So, Andrew, we have set your lineup. You have Cam Newton, uh, Joe Mixon, and Mark Ingram at running back. But Tariq Cohn and Mixon's place at Mixon can't go. Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks is your wide receivers. Your flex, Deshaun Jackson at Austin Cooper, your tight end. And now we go to my man, Alex, in Denver. And he has three quarterbacks to choose from. Deshaun Watson, Phillip Rivers, or Matthew Stafford. I think you got to go with Deshaun Watson, even against that Jacksonville defense. It's a no-brainer. He's turned into a matchup-proof quarterback in fantasy. Yeah, it's it's really hard to, to go against him there. You know, you might lean toward, you know, you've got, you've got Rivers and Stafford. Rivers going up against the Detroit defense. I think the defense has, has improved a bit in Detroit there. I, I don't like Stafford against the Chargers defense. I, I think you really got to go Watson there. And Alex only has two healthy running backs on his roster. Carryon Johnson and Sony Michelle. His third one, Darius Skice, is going to miss quite a bit of time, as reports have indicated. So Carryon uh, Johnson and Sony Michelle are your two starting running backs this week, Alex. And at wide receiver, this is a pretty deep core as well. Michael Thomas, Keaton Allen, Michael Gallup, James Washington, or DJ Chark. I think you got to insert Michael Thomas and Keaton Allen as your top two wide receivers easily by far. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's a no-brainer. Agreed. And at flex, uh, he uh, has Gallup in that spot now. And I actually agree because Michael Gallup is turning out to be uh, Dak Prescott's second target of the passing game behind only Amari Cooper. And uh, Michael Gallup showing you that promise uh, he showed out of Colorado State, and he's finally uh, capitalizing on that promise and growing it as well. Like He is an entirely different player this year than he was last year, and he's an amazing route-running artist. Michael Gallup as your flex. I think he, uh, you have to go with Michael Gallup easily ahead of James Washington and DJ Chark, who are still trying to carve out sizable roles in their respective situations. 100% with you on that one. Much as I, I love the upside of Chark, I think you hit the nail on the head with the hammer there. Gallup's already there, and he's an established, you know, wide receiver, too, in that offense. So I would ride him as the flex as well. And he's got three options at tight end. Mark Andrews, Vance McDonald, or Kyle Rudolph. I think you have to go with Mark Andrews going against that awful Arizona Cardinals defense. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, Vance McDonald... I. He really didn't make any noise in week one, and, and that's a you know a tough group of linebackers there in Seattle for him in that matchup as well. That's not a good matchup for Vance McDonald to put up a lot of points if he's going to be seeing those Seattle linebackers covering him. So I think Andrews, is definitely he's got the matchup there. He should have the targets. Pretty much a, a clear agreement on that one as well. And Alex, I think you're going to have to make some roster changes and get more running backs than you have right now. I would drop Matthew Stafford and Kyle Rudolph personally and pick up two running, one or two running backs in their stead. And which running back should Alex pick up? We introduce a new game on this program. It's called Waiver Wire This or That. And in this game, I mentioned two quarterbacks, two running backs, two wide receivers, two tight ends, and two defenses. And uh, you determine which one of those two 
fantasy owners should prioritize on the waiver wire. Starting a quarterback, Derek Carr or Jacoby Brissett? That's a tough one. They both looked really good last week as well. You know, you're, you're kind of looking at, you know, do you go to the matchups here in this situation? Jacoby Brissett against that Tennessee defense we were talking about. He's out for this week. I'm going to look more at Derek Carr going up against Kansas City's defense, which is a little more porous. So I think I would have my eye on Carr right now. And especially when you take the long-term view at the season, the Colts are going to constantly be in games because they have a solid defense and still a very prolific offense, even under Jacoby Brissett and Frank Reich calling the plays. And the Raiders, they played an equally flawed team, the Denver Broncos on Monday night, and they were at home. It was their first uh, regular season game of the season, their last regular season game in Oakland against the Broncos. They were playing for extra pride that night, and they uh, dominated that game. But they're not going to dominate the Chiefs or a lot of those other more difficult opponents they're going to face uh, this season. They're going to be playing from behind more often than not. So uh, Derek Carr and his new cachet of weapons, he's going to be throwing the ball much more often than he did against the Broncos on Monday night. So Derek Carr, I think, is the priority, not just for this week, but for the rest of the season as well. Agreed. And running backs, Alex here, are two options for you. Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman's going to be out four to six weeks in San Francisco, or Ronald Jones, who uh, showed why last week, to some degree, why Tampa drafted him in the second round of 2018. Which one of those two would you add? That is a tough one. And again, I think we're looking at uh, short-term, long-term here. Long-term, uh, long-term for the course of my season, I'm probably going to lean towards Jones because his role should continue to go- to grow. But if I needed somebody to plug in for week two, remember San Francisco is also Matt Greta with the concussion there in week one. So his uh, status is questionable. It could be almost or all the time here uh, in week two until those other running backs start getting healthy. So long-term, I'm thinking Jones, a long-term pickup. Short-term, if I need to plug a hole quick, it'll be most. Very good point at wide receiver. I think this is a challenging one. Terry McLaurin or Tyrell Williams? That is a tough one. And, um, you know, I always liked Tyrell Williams when he was with the Chargers. And I think he's finally getting an opportunity to have a, a larger role in the offense. I think he's really in a position to put up a lot of yards and receptions as well this season with his new team. So I'm going to go with Tyrell Williams in this uh, regard as that's my pickup. Yeah, and especially since Tyra Williams has a stable quarterback. Terry McLaurin, uh, yes, Dwayne Haskins was his teammate in college, but he might have to go from one quarterback to the next, and it still might take time to get that rhythm back, shake off the rust uh, they've had without playing together for several weeks. So uh, Tyra Williams gets the slight edge over Terry McLaurin, in my view, as well. For tight end, TJ Hawkinson or Darren Waller? Hawkinson. All day, every day. Yeah, same here. Darren Waller, I think, is going to have a pretty healthy season of production. And if TJ Hawkinson isn't available like he wasn't in my league, I picked up Waller in that league. But Hawkinson, he's clearly the far more superior talent. And uh, Matthew Stafford, he shouldn't hesitate to target him early and often every single week. He's clearly the best receiving option on that team, period. And easily one of the most complete tight ends to come into the league in recent years. So TJ Hawkinson, he'll be seeing the field all the time because he's as good at blocking as he is at receiving. Ride TJ Hawkinson and snatch him on your waiver wire, folks. And last but not least, a battle of two defenses, the Titans defense or the underrated Packers defense. Mm, That is a tough one. I mean, we've already outlined here why we love that Tennessee defense there. But the Packers, they've imported a pass rush. They've got some youth and energy in that linebacking core. We're seeing that secondary, which they've built up through the draft and some savvy pickups, getting better and better throughout, throughout you know, last season and starting this season as well. So that is a real, real tough one. For me, you know, hey, I love Tennessee's defense. It, it's going to be hard to pry me away from that one there. But Green Bay isn't a bad second option if Tennessee's not there. Especially considering the fact the Packers play five of their next six games at Lambeau Field, which gives them an extra added advantage. Wow, indeed, you are right. And they've got, after Minnesota, they've got Denver on the schedule, Detroit, they still play Oakland. They've got some good matchups there for the Packers as well. But like I said, 
I, I can't stop gushing about that Tennessee defense right now, and uh, they're the top of my list. The top of mine as well. And now let's predict the rest of these Week 2 games, starting with tonight's matchup in Charlotte between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Carolina Panthers. Jameis Winston, yes, I know it's only Week 1, but there is a real possibility he might be beyond fixable, even for Bruce Arians. And I expect this Panthers defense to have a much better showing against the Bucs this week, it'll be close. It'll be low scoring for Thursday night, but the Panthers pull off a 23-20 victory. Uh, I don't think it'll be quite that close, but yes, I do think I'm I'm, a, I'm behind Carolina on this one as well. I just have more faith in Cam Newton uh, than I have in Jameis Winston, and I have it 24-17 to Carolina. A matchup for first place in the NFC North as the Vikings travel to Lambeau Field for the second year in a row to take on the Packers in Week 2. Last year, both these teams battled their way to a tie in a Week 2 matchup at Lambeau. And I think this year is going to be another close, exciting game between these two teams. But I had a hard time picking this game. But in a coin flip game, I'm going to go with uh, the tie. Goes to the home team. The Green Bay Packers at home in Lambeau. I think the offense uh, improves from last week's uh, showing against the Bears. And that defense does enough to hold off the Vikings 24-21. to Yeah, I might be overreacting a little to week one. But I really like what Minnesota did. Game planning both sides of the ball a complete effort. I'm going again a coin flip game. It's close, but I'm going to take the Vikings 20 to 16 over the Packers. Yep, it could go either way. Like I said it was a coin flip, but I just gave the tie to the home team. The Detroit Lions host the Los Angeles Chargers after blowing that lead in Arizona resulting in that tie last weekend, and this is actually my upset special of the week. The Chargers clearly missed Derwin James last week. They do not have Russell Okuga on the offensive line. They will not have him for at least five more games. And that offensive line is going to struggle again against a formidable Detroit front. And you just lost Hunter Henry for at least four to six weeks with a knee fracture. So the Chargers are coming in banged up. This is another ripe opportunity for an early season at-home upset for the Lions. They upset the Patriots last year in Week 3. They upset the Chargers again in Week 2, 28-27. I think we got a simpatico alert here, David. <laughs> I have that my up special as well. So I'm picking Detroit over the Chargers, 24-21. to The home team, like I said, despite the, that fourth quarter against <laughs> an overtime against Arizona, I think this team showed a lot in that first half, especially. I think they're a better team. They might have run out of gas a little bit in that second half, but but I think Detroit's going to be one of those sneaky good teams that's going to pull out a few wins that we're not expecting in 2019, and I'm going with the Lions as well. The San Francisco 49ers, they didn't travel back to San Francisco this week. They went to Youngstown because after their date with Tappan, which they won 31-17, to they have a date with the Cincinnati Bagels who delivered a very impressive performance in a losing effort at Seattle uh, last week. I think it's going to be pretty close again. The Bagels and 49ers, uh, both of these teams are going to play hard on Sunday. But at the end of the day, I... As good as the Bagels offensive line looked against that Seattle front, keep in mind, uh, Jadavion Cloudy was in his first game to Seahawks, and Puna Ford got hurt in that game as well. They face a far tougher challenge with Nick Bosa, D. Ford, and DeForest Buckner this week. I trust the 49ers to take advantage of that Bagels offensive line and be the difference in a 20-16 hard-fought victory for San Francisco. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Cincinnati and that effort that, that went into that game, but I'm expecting a little regression out of the Bengals this week, and I have San Francisco taking it fairly easily, 24-14. to 14. The Seattle Seahawks travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and both of these teams struggled in pass defense this week, and both these teams have the weapons on offense to exploit those weaknesses. I think this game is going to be fairly high scoring, but... At the end of the day, in a shootout, I go with my tie goes to the home team again. The Steelers eke out a 27-24 victory. Yeah, I mean, I we look at the Seahawks every year traveling to the East Coast and not missing a beat. And that, that's not normal for teams. West Coast teams aren't supposed to travel East and walk in as, a, as, an opponent, as an away team and play as well as Seattle has done. So maybe there's a little bit of regression. I don't think either team is as bad on both sides of the ball as they looked last week. 
Uh, I'm expecting Pittsburgh to bounce back, though, as well, and win this game at home 24-20 to over the Seahawks. Our next game, if there was any other candidate for lock of the week, aside from another game, which we'll get to in a minute, it's the Cardinals traveling to Baltimore to take on those Ravens and that amazing defense and Lamar Jackson who showed the world why he was drafted and why he should have been drafted even earlier. He's not necessarily a run first quarterback. He has amazing pocket skills, more amazing than most uh, analysts have ever given the guy credit for. He showed you last week, and I think he'll have no problem slicing and dicing up that Cardinals defense again, whether on the ground with his own legs, with Mark Egram or Justice Hill or Gus Edwards, or through the air to Marquise Hollywood-Brown or Miles Boykin or Mark Andrews or any of those amazing young weapons like he has. The Ravens take it rather easily, 42 to 17. Wow. Ooh. I've got this one a lot closer than that. I, I really liked how Arizona came back in the second half. I think they play with a little more tempo, a little more urgency on offense like they did late in that game. They're going to be a lot better off with that offensive system. I really like Baltimore, what they did. But, oh, that, that Miami Dolphins team – did not show up at the stadium that game. And I think, you know, you could have taken 30 other teams and they would have hung a 50-burger on that Dolphin squad. They were defeated before they even showed up. I have Baltimore winning it, but much closer, 22-17. to 17. Ooh, that's much more low scoring than I had it, but we shall see. How about those Buffalo Bills, man? Coming back from a 16-0 deficit on the road against the Jets. They go back to MetLife Stadium this weekend to take on the New York Giants. And in this game, I think they should have no problem winning it, playing their style of football throughout. That defense is going to stifle Eli Manning all game long. Saquon Barkley might get an explosive play or two, but it's not going to be nearly enough. And uh, Josh Allen, I expect, has a much better game this week as they're able to run the ball more efficiently and early and often. The Bills stick it to the Giants, 19-6. to Ooh, I have the Giants winning this game, 21-16, to and I'm going to go further into detail on that when we get to our bold predictions for the week. And if there's another lock of the week, a candidate for lock of the week, aside from a certain game which we'll preview next, the Cowboys travel to Washington to take out the Redskins. Yes, Case Keenum looked very good throwing the ball last week, albeit that was against a very, very suspect Eagles secondary. This is the Cowboys' defense. The Dallas Cowboys might be, be the most balanced team in football right now, not named the New England Patriots, for crying out loud. We talked about that offense. That offensive line is back attack with Travis Frederick returning. Tyron Smith is now healthy. You got uh, Dak Prescott uh, in that new Kellen Moore system, and he now has not one, not two, but three amazing wide receiver targets in Michael Gallup, who we just mentioned, obviously Amari Cooper, and Randall Cobb, who looked impressive last Sunday as well. I think they have no problem slicing up that Redskins secondary again. Dallas Cowboys roll all over the Redskins, 31-13. Yeah, I'm right with you on that one as well, David. I don't think the Cowboys have any problem with the Redskins, and I see it as Dallas 33, Washington 16. Uh, that calls for another simpatico alert. Beep, beep, beep. Indeed, and... The lock of the week. What else would it rather be? Patriots at Dolphins. Uh, I will get into the Patriots and how badly they beat the Dolphins in my bowl prediction. There's no need for further explanation here. <laughs> you know, I actually think this game's going to be a little bit closer. I equate the Dolphins back to, you know, I mean, they had the, their guts ripped out with that Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, you know, two leaders on that young offense being traded away unexpectedly right before the season that's a gut punch it's going to take some time to recover they're going to be at home this week patriots never travel well to miami i don't know what it is why that is but regardless of the miami team that game is always closer than it should be so i'll take the patriots winning it in a close one 24 to 16 We've got two divisional matchups in the AFC South, arguably the most wide-open division in the NFL. The Tennessee Titans coming off their magnificent defensive performance at the Dog Pound last Sunday returned home to Music City to take on Jacoby Brissett and the Indianapolis Colts, who are coming off a hard-fought yet heartbreaking loss against the Chargers in Carson, California last Sunday. I think uh, both teams are going to show up to play for 60 minutes. It's going to be very, very close. Your quintessential 
Old school blue collar uh, divisional grudge match. Both teams are going to try to run the ball early and often, but I think both defenses are going to be mostly up to the test. It's going to be very close, relatively low scoring, but I have the Titans pulling off a hard-fought 19-17 victory in the end. That's pretty close to mine. I have it 19-17 with three seconds left in the game, and Adam Vinatieri redeems his horrible week one performance as the oldest player in the NFL knocked throw a field goal at the end of regulation to give Indianapolis a 20 to 19 win over the Titans. We're close, but no simpatico cigar there. And the Jacksonville Jaguars and Gardner Minshew traveled to Houston to take on the Texans. And I think the Texans uh, rebound from their heartbreaking loss against the New Orleans Saints last Monday night. It, I think the Jaguars keep it close for three quarters, but the Texans pull away at the end and they end up winning 30 to 22. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm expecting the Texans to break out, you know, all credit to that Saints offensive line, um, you know, especially Ryan Ramzik on the outside on right tackle there. And uh, when he went on the other side, Teron Armstead picked him up. But I've never seen J.J. Watt so quiet in a game. So I'm expecting him to explode this week with a huge bounce back performance. And I have Houston edging out Jacksonville 20 to 16. The Kansas City Chiefs traveled to Oakland to take out the Raiders in the Chiefs' final game at Oakland. The Raiders, uh, they looked uh, rather impressive Monday night, especially in that first half. But that was against a team, as I alluded to earlier, in the Broncos that is equally as flawed as they. These are the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, they don't have Tyreek Hill, but so what? Sammy Watkins appears back to form and showing you why he was a top-five draft pick in 2014. Sammy Watkins, as long as he's healthy, he should be fine. And Travis Kelsey's still there. And you also got the rookie Nicole Hardman, who I think could explode in this game against a banged-up Raiders secondary that will be without Gary on Conley and obviously without Jonathan Abram, who is going on season-ending injured reserve because of that injury he suffered on Monday night. The Kansas City Chiefs have no problem with the Raiders this time. They beat him 37-20. to yeah, I'm I'm pretty close on that prediction as well. I just have Oakland a little bit fewer points and Kansas City a few more. 41 to 17 Chiefs over the Raiders. The reunion between Vic Faggio and his former team as the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky and Khalil Mack travel to the Mile High City to take on Vic Faggio and his Denver Broncos. Both teams coming off of very disappointing week one performances. And I honestly think this is going to be an ugly low scoring game because Vic Faggio knows Mitchell Trubisky had that Bears offense inside and out. And uh, the Bears are obviously familiar with Faggio. And uh, I, th- I don't think Trubisky's going to turn it on this week. Uh, both offenses are going to struggle to move the football. I expect the Broncos' defense to play much better than they did in that first half. But at the end of the day, it comes down to which of these two defenses do you trust to make that game-changing play. And I would easily trust the Bears' defense over this Broncos' defense, especially considering the fact that the Broncos lost right tackle Juwan James for multiple weeks, at least, due to a significant knee sprain. And they're going to be trotting out a backup right tackle and a first-round bust left tackle at Garrett Bowles going up against Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, uh, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman and Roy Robertson Harris in that front. I think that Bears front makes the play that decides the game and the Bears eke out a 17-13 victory in what would otherwise be an ugly, low-scoring game. Yeah, this is one of those ugly rock fight kind of games, as they call them. And, and I have the Bears edging out the Broncos 16-10 to in one of those ugly games that's no fun to watch. But I will be watching that game, so uh, you better believe it. Uh, two of my favorite teams. The Eagles on Sunday Night Football travel to Atlanta to face the Falcons. And I think this game is going to be a high-scoring game, the exact opposite of the Bears and Broncos. The Eagles' pass defense looked very suspect last week, and I think the Falcons' defense gets back uh, offense. Uh, pardon me. They get back on track with an amazing performance, and they eke out a close 34-31 shootout victory at home. I would like to see that. I'm just not sure the Falcons are going to be able to do enough and exploit that Eagles secondary quite as much. That Eagles offense is so strong as well. They'll put a lot of pressure on the Falcons. I have the Eagles going on the road and winning in prime time, 31-26. to 26. Uh, Why don't you see the Falcons uh, exploiting the Eagles secondary, Hal? Well, I, I think you're going to see a little bit more scheming from Philadelphia to get that extra pass rush pressure on there as well. 
You're going to see a little bit more uh, bringing in some extra defensive backs, daring Atlanta to try to run the ball at Philadelphia and into the uh, strong defensive front as well with lighter fronts up there. And I think that will be able to be just effective enough. I don't think they're going to shut them down, but enough to hold them down. And that Eagles offense, you know, Carson Wentz as well, having that Deshaun Jackson, that deep threat toy, he's already shown that off in week one. And you're going to see a lot of Atlanta defensive backs backpedaling early in that game and letting Philadelphia to exploit the middle of the field with those two great tight ends that they have. Very, very good point there, Hal. And last but not least, Monday Night Football travels to MetLife Stadium, where the New York Jets, who are eager to put a heartbreaking loss in which they blew a 16-0 lead at home against Buffalo behind them, hosting Baker Mayfield of the Browns, eager to improve on last week's abysmal season opener against the Tennessee Titans, and I see flaws with both of these teams, especially when it comes to the coaching staffs. When you look at the Browns, uh, you got Todd Monken as your offensive coordinator who made Ryan Fitzpatrick look like a star at many times last year, but he's not even calling the plays. And the Jets, you got Greg Williams calling that defense, and that secondary, not only is it devoid of talent, especially at the corner position, he's having safeties play 20 yards off the line of scrimmage again. What the hell is he thinking? You can't do that necessarily against Beckham, uh, because Beckham will hurt you underneath just as much as he would over the top. Man, this is going to be a very, very interesting game, but I actually am going to go with the Jets in this game, 23-16, to because I just do not trust that Browns offensive line right now. Yeah, I don't trust that Browns offensive line, but I do trust Baker Mayfield. I thought Sam Darnold was pedestrian in week one. He had I mean, the the Jets had four turnovers and they got six points out of that. And that was entirely the defense. So I really expected the Jets under Adam Gase here to make some strides on offense. And it looked like the same old Jets offense there. And, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm kind of like Adam Gase, other than being in Denver when Peyton Manning happened to show up, uh, what's going on with that resume that's making you a head coach and a quarterback darling here in the NFL. I think that uh, we're starting to see some of that shine come off there. And I've got Cleveland 28 to 17 over the Jets on Monday night. It'll be interesting to see how the Mayfield Darnold rematch uh, goes. And let's go to our bold predictions now. And why don't you go first, Al? All right. So my bold prediction is uh, talking about Buffalo, who came back from that 16 to nothing deficit to win. This week, I see Buffalo ahead of the Giants, 16 to nothing at halftime. And wait, who's that trotting onto the field to take over at quarterback? But Daniel Jones in week two, replacing a Eli Manning that has done nothing on offense in the first half, coming off the bench in the second half to throw three touchdowns and lead the Giants to a 21-16 win over the Buffalo Bills. That's my bold prediction. That is a very good bold prediction, my friend, and I have two bold predictions. This one might not be so bold. The Miami Dolphins will allow another 50-burger as they lose to the Patriots 52-7. to What do you think of that? I'd love to see it. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> of course I would, you know. <laughs> I like those games I could take a nap in the second half. But um, that is a bold one because, you know, it's very tough for a team to be that bad in consecutive weeks. And if there's one, uh, you know, one chink in the Bill Belichick armor that that we've seen is he struggled against his former coaches. Remember Josh McDaniels in Denver beating Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia last year, losing to Cleveland with, oh God, I can't remember his name of the, it, he was also with the Jets as well and, and beat the Patriots as former defensive coordinator. So we've seen that in the past that these teams with these former Patriots coaches can come in and, and pull off that upset with that inside knowledge. So I'd love to see the Patriots put up the 50 burger, but I'm not optimistic. So I'm going to say that's a pretty bold one there, David. And I will go to my other bold prediction. The Chicago Bears... And yes, I am a Bears fan, and I root for them every Sunday, except once every four years when they play the the only team I like better than them, the Denver Broncos. So this is bittersweet for me to say. The Chicago Bears 
will sack Joe Flacco 12 times. Seven of those coming from Khalil Mack. Oh, that is bold and beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, ugly beauty for me. A little more ugly because I'm more of a Broncos fan, but uh, the Bears are, I, I, I only root against them once every four years, and this week I'm going to be a nervous wreck. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's an offensive line that could do it, it may be that beat-up Broncos line, as you had alluded to earlier in the show, David. Exactly. And now let's throw our challenge flags for the week. Who would you like to challenge, Al? I'm going right back to who I alluded to earlier that that I was so impressed with in week one, Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings. You found a blueprint to maximize Kirk Cousins by minimizing him and riding Dalvin Cook and getting your defense in a position to be aggressive, strong, and dominant again. So for Mike Zimmer and the Vikings, don't take your foot off the pedal. Let's see you do it again against Aaron Rodgers. And my that's my challenge flag to build off of that week one performance and put yourself into the conversation as a playoff team in that very deep and very strong NFC. My challenge flag goes to Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky, I said that I didn't expect you to set the world on fire this week. Prove me wrong. Restore the Bears' confidence in you by playing as good or better than Derek Carr did against the Broncos. The Bears are counting on you to help lift them to that first Super Bowl championship since 1985. And if you are to be that bad, you got to show them why this weekend in a hostile environment at Altitude in Denver. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan at musketfire.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you very much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview week three of the 2019 NFL season and a lot more content as well. So stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom59. For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.